Now for the reading of God's word this morning is Matthew 13, just two verses, verses 31 and 32. You can follow along in your Bible or in your bulletin or on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord from Jesus. Jesus put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray you would teach us this morning from your word. Show us yourself in a beautiful way. In Christ's name, amen. I ask you as we begin this morning, just for a moment or so, uh, to consider what your soul is. What is your soul? A soul, as, as one person put it to me years ago, is the most you part of you. Or as Dallas Willard has said, let me give you a couple of quotes from him telling you what the soul is, ways to consider it. Dallas Willard says, this tiny, fragile, vulnerable, precious thing about you is called your soul. And elsewhere he says, whatever is running your life at any given moment, that is your soul. There was a story I was reading this week, this week about a traveler who went to visit Africa and um, she had a bunch of luggage that she needed carried behind her. This was years before trains or cars. And so she arrived in Africa and needed to go a great distance with a bunch of luggage behind her. And so what you did during that time was you would hire a group of carriers and guides to kind of come behind you and bring the stuff with you. And so she's kind of marching ahead forward um, and they made a great deal of progress the first day. They went, you know, many miles on the first day. And they came to rest that night and they got up the next morning and she's all ready to go. And she says, okay, let's continue on our journey. And the guides and the carriers just sit there and they said, no, we need to let our souls catch up to our bodies. So our bodies got rest during the nighttime, but our souls haven't caught up to it yet. And I, as I read that, I just, I just was thinking how countercultural that is. Um, the theme we're going to be getting into this morning is the theme of rest. And when I talk about rest for the rest of this morning, it's primarily dealing with the soul rest, not the physical rest, though they are overlapping at certain points. But let's just take a moment right here at the beginning to give you just a moment of quiet. I want you to just consider for a moment, what would you identify as your greatest soul need right now. So take just a moment in the quietness of your own heart and soul to consider what is your greatest soul need? What are you feeling, longing for now? I told our Sunday school class this morning that uh, when you prepare to preach something, you realize how much you need what you're about to preach on. And we're preaching on rest this morning. And I, all week, all weekend, just felt how tired I was. 
uh, I said, wow, I really need what I'm about to offer. Um, and the funny thing is, yeah, I had a couple of solo parent days. Sarah was away on a work trip for Friday and Saturday. So in some sense, that made me tired. Um, but as I was sitting down yesterday, a little bit tired during the middle of the day, we were having some rest time with our kids. I was thinking about my older brother who had just texted me the day before and said, hey, can you guys pray for me? I'm running a hundred mile road race tomorrow. One, zero, zero, 100 miles. And so I, I signed up for these text message notifications. So every couple of hours I would get a notification. Andrew has completed 15 miles. Andrew has completed 25 miles. Andrew has completed 45 miles, just all day. Started at 6 a.m. And uh, he was running this excruciating long road race. He's an ultra marathoner, as you may have guessed. He's able to do that. Um, but I was like, wow, he, he's going to be tired. He's going to need some rest. Who am I? I just, I'm just looking out for a couple of kids for a few days. He needs some rest. But I think as you were just considering what you were longing for in your soul, I think an overarching category maybe is rest. Rest for your soul. Because it's a catch-all for so many burdens in life. We prayed for burdens earlier during the prayer time. Things we carry, things that are heavy on us. Um, I think we all feel that soul rest is what we need. It's got to be more than just a hammock on a Saturday afternoon, right? Or Netflix and the couch in the evening. We're longing for something more, even more than retirement. I know there's a lot of you that are retired, and you'd probably be the first to tell us that it's not as restful maybe as what you think when you're 35, right? When you're 35, you look ahead to when you're 65 or 75 and say, oh, I can't wait to be retired. I can sit around and catch up and do the things I want to. But there's a soul part that still has burdens you carry. So this morning, what is rest for our souls? That's essentially the question we're going to be looking at through the lens of this parable that Jesus tells us. Understanding the difference and seeing the difference between being a busy or tired person and being a hurried and weary soul. They're different. There's some overlap, but they're different. You can be the most rested physically person you can be and still be a tired soul. Or you can be a rested soul and still a busy person. How do we understand this together? I'm looking here at articles and numbers and statistics. I know Alan gave some really telling statistics last week about authenticity. I have some similar things here I could show you about the need for rest in our generation today. We've been called the burnout generation. We don't know how to stop. We just keep working because we think that'll fulfill us. But the reason, the reason is deeper than that. And I think it's just pretty self-evident that uh, we're tired, we're a tired people, a tired generation. As just, I'll, I'll just quote a little one thing here. Uh, it says, this is a, a quote from, from an article that says, millennials are not the only burnout generation, just ask the rest of us. It's not just millennials that are tired or burned out, it's every generation that's currently alive. And it says, it says here, it's the feeling that you've hit the, hit the wall exhaustion-wise, and then you have to scale the wall and just keep going. There's no catharsis, no lasting rest, just this background hum of exhaustion. Do you feel that? I know we also have some people in this room who have cats. Cat lovers. I'm not in that category. No pun intended, category. But if you have a cat, cats love to sleep. 
Cats love to rest. And cats, particularly the cats I've spent time around, is during the cold winter months, what they love to do is go find the sunny spot of the window and nestle up there and find the warmth of the rays of the sun, especially in the cold winter months. Consider this sermon this morning a little bit of trying to find those rays of sunlight peering through the window. That's what our soul is looking for, is that kind of catnap for our soul that is so elusive. So we've looked at cultural values these last several weeks, curiosity, silence, community, authenticity. This week, that value is rest. No one is not looking for rest. No one wants to be tired in their soul. And yet here we are. What can the gospel offer us? What can Christianity show us? What can Jesus teach us about soul rest? So Matthew 13, 31 and 32, here's the first point. Why is rest so important? And the reason is, according to this parable, is that I would say, even though the word rest and the word soul does not occur in this passage, I would say that even so, this parable shows us that the purpose of the kingdom of God is rest for our souls. The purpose of the kingdom of God is rest for our souls. How can you say that when the word rest or soul does not show up in the passage? It says here, the kingdom of heaven is like, and it talks about the grain of a mustard seed, that though it is small, it grows into the largest of seeds and it becomes larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and what do they do? They make nests in its branches, or you could say they rest in its branches or they make their dwelling there. The words, so that, give us the purpose of the whole parable. The kingdom of God is like, so that birds can come and rest in the branches. Now, you may say, okay, really the purpose of the kingdom of God is rest for your souls? Isn't it maybe more like salvation? (laughs) Or uh, some kind of deep and inner satisfaction in who God is? or uh, going to church or learning to be a good person. Yes, all those things are true. That is the purpose of the kingdom of God too. But what I would say is rest for your souls is the overarching category under which those other things come. Salvation in some sense is rest for your souls. Going to church is one of the ways to work deeper into having rest for your soul. And so we're going to unpack this a little bit more. True rest for our souls is the heart of Christianity. It's what makes the gospel unique. We've literally been doing a whole Sunday school class on the passage of scripture, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, that says, where Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find Rest for your souls. Jesus explicitly says it. This is why I came. If you come to me, this is what you will find. And the world is asking where to find it. So like I do sometimes, sometimes I tell you the point of the sermon in the first couple of minutes. And then we just unpack how do we get there. Jesus says in another place that uh, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? The implication is nothing else matters. 
If you make all the money in the world or find all the success you want, everything you ever wanted for, but your soul is still weary and exhausted, then nothing else matters. You're still not going to be satisfied. And so we are the birds in the parable here who are looking for that tree that has grown from nothing into something substantial that we want to go and make nests in and rest in. Let's unpack what that looks like. You know, kind of the the classic teaching of this parable emphasizes the mustard seed, the tiny, tiny, smallest of seeds, right? Like if if I were to have a mustard seed here, you couldn't even see it, it's that small, and it grows into a giant bush or a tree. Most of the teachings on it focus on that, which is correct. But today we're mostly gonna look at verse 32, which is the, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in the branches. Because that's, that's the so that, that's the purpose. The whole purpose of the kingdom of God is for dwelling for those who need it. The word here for make nests is really this idea of dwell or settle in or sit under the shade of a tree. Think of the implications of this for all of creation. If God's kingdom is the mustard seed that was birthed at the beginning of time as a small seed and has now come fully to pass in the person of Jesus growing into this big tree and will one day be fulfilled when Jesus comes again, that means that each of us can find protection and safety and dwelling and ultimate home, not just for your physical body, for yourself, not just for your emotional self, not just for your intellectual self, but for your soul, for the part of you that God alone can see. That's what you can find safety and satisfaction and home in. The kingdom of God brings ultimate safety and home for your soul. So as, we, as I give you some of these points, I'm gonna give you a couple of practicals of how do you actually live into that rest for your soul? Because that's ultimately what you wanna leave with today as you go out of these doors. And so practically speaking, rest for your souls actually just means deep and inner safety or protection for your soul. Jesus is saying, if you make nests in the tree that I've planted in the kingdom of God, no one can harm you. Metaphorically, no rain can come, no snow can hit you, no hailstones, no wind can blow you over. You can find rest there. can't be taken away. Peter says that the gospel is like the inheritance kept in heaven for you. Can't be taken away. It can't be damaged. It's guarded by God. The world is a dangerous place for your soul. There's so many things that can harm it if you're not under the protection of something that is worthy to to keep it. But the surprising, shocking reality of the gospel is that even in the dangerous world, we are now completely safe as followers of Christ. The gospel means that the universe is a perfectly safe place for you to be. That's what Dallas Willard said, the same guy I quoted earlier. So think about how dangerous our world is, how many wars, how many famines, how many fires, how many accidents, how many just potential missteps we can have, things we've prayed about, how dangerous our world is The gospel teaches us that there is ultimate safety for the part of you that matters the most. Eternal safety, eternal security. Take heart, friends, that there is a a hope that things cannot touch your soul because of the kingdom of God that Jesus is offering in. That's the first big point. 
Paul says you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ. Christ is covering you. You are hidden because of his sufficiency. The purpose of the kingdom of God is safety for your soul, rest for your soul, protection from those elements. Next point here. The question is asked, who can receive this rest? The parable gives a pretty great answer to that as well. And this is where we focus on the birds of the air again. But who can receive this rest? I would say, you know, I've, I quoted Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 earlier, where it says, um, come to me all who are weak and heavy laden. And so that's one part we're going to get into. But also look at the birds of the air. Emphasis on the, on the term of the air. Birds are meant to fly, right? Birds are meant to be in the sky. There's a reason here that he includes birds because they dwell in a space that we can't dwell in. They live in lofty spaces. Who can receive rest? I would say the lofty and the lowly can receive this rest. Let's look into this a little bit more. Look at the word larger here. It says, it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. The kingdom of God here then is literally speaking larger than anything else the world can offer. Even though it starts small, even though it starts maybe in secret or unsubstantial, it is actually the largest reality and the truest thing that the world can offer. Just case in point, we are sitting here in the middle of Salem as a small church, you know, maybe 50 people in this room this morning in a city of 45,000 people. And there's a few other churches throughout the city who are doing good things. And so let's say we're 500 total. 500, that's a lot of people. In a city of 45,000, that's just a small minority, one or 2%. Mustard seed. And yet what Jesus is saying here is that the kingdom of God grows into a large tree that it is a large something that is beyond what it looks like at the beginning. The kingdom of God is the mustard seed, and it grows into this large tree that offers rest. And so true rest for the lofty is offered here through the, through the idea of the birds of the air. Um, in some sense, when you, when, you, when you look at what a mustard seed is, I, I look this up because I... I'm not a garden person. I mentioned we're doing this thing next Saturday where we're doing all this work outside. I'm going to be basically be doing what I'm told because I'm not the, the authority on this. So I had to look up, what does a mustard seed even do? What does it actually grow into? And literally speaking, a mustard seed is tiny and it grows into a bush. It's about four feet tall. And so, okay, I'm like, a mustard seed grows into a bush. It's about four feet tall. Why is Jesus saying here that it'll grow into a large tree that's larger than all the other garden plants? And when you begin to look into it, you realize that Jesus is using hyperbole. He's saying that the mustard seed can grow into something greater than what it ever could have been before. And so there is a, there is a point here of exaggeration, of hyperbole. But he does that to emphasize that even birds can come and find rest in it. That the kingdom grows to such an extent to where those who are lofty, those who are high up, those who are powerful, those who are soaring, again, use the image here, the metaphor, rest is offered even for them. So I say to you for our world, for those of us that are successful, who have our act together, who have good health, who aren't looking necessarily for something for our soul, we still need it. 
And God reaches up to us in that place. We're not, again, we're not told to climb the ladder towards rest for our souls. God comes to us where we are and invites us to fall into it. Birds come down into trees, right? That's the rest that is offered for the lofty. And yet, look at the other side of it as well. Let's say we do take Jesus more specifically of an actual mustard seed bush, four feet tall. That's accessible for a lot more creatures, right? It's accessible for the small animals that run around. It's accessible for insects. It's accessible for a lot more who are the lowly, maybe bottom of the food chain kind of creatures. And so it applies for those of us as well. Those of us who are struggling, those of us who don't have a powerful job, those of us who struggle economically, those of us who are struggling to live paycheck to paycheck or who are even living on the street, the kingdom of God reaches down to us even there and is accessible to even the lowliest of the low. Let me just give you an image here. Um, John Stott, one of the pastors in, in England in the mid-century, tells this story of the phrase RSVP, which if you go to a wedding, like where I was at a wedding last week, you have to RSVP to a wedding. And he said he had a, a family from Eastern Europe uh, that was in his church back in the mid-century. And they got invited to a wedding with the phrase RSVP on it. And he realized that not everybody knows what RSVP actually means. Maybe you don't either. I, I remember the time I learned what it was. But he was talking to this couple, and they were, again, picture Eastern Europeans, so they have an accent, so their Ws are more sound like Vs. So, like, if you want to say wife, you say wife, things like that. Again, because they're trying to speak in English in in England. Um, But let me just read what they're saying here. They were confused about RSVP, and so he says, uh, what does it mean, RSVP? I do not know what this means. Then suddenly, after a prolonged reflection, inspiration dawned. The husband says, I know what it means. Remember, send, vetting, present. (laughs) The couple thought that the card was a demand to send a vetting present. Again, W's and V's. But in reality, RSVP simply means what? Yeah, it means you're invited. They thought it was a demand to send a present when really it was an invitation to receive something freely. And so Stott talks about, he says, many people make the same mistake today about Jesus and the gospel. They miss the fact that it is a free invitation, indeed the greatest invitation anyone ever receives, and they mistake it for a burden of something that they have to give when actually it's something they are offered to receive. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So practically speaking, soul rest is joy and contentment in God no matter what, whether you're lofty or lowly. When you're a rested soul, when your soul has found rest in the person of Christ and his finished work on the cross, you are content no matter what comes your way. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Invitation. The last point, and I would say the biggest, the biggest point, the most important one that we're going to talk about. What is the best image of what true rest is for us today? 
what is the true and better version of rest. If you walk outside and say, okay, we're all looking for rest. We all believe this is a cultural value that we all can get behind. We're longing for rest. What does the gospel actually say true rest is? And how do you live into that? And the best word that Christianity can offer for that is Sabbath. Sabbath rest. This is the gift of God for humans to learn what it means to have a soul rest. Jesus says that the seed grows larger than all the other plants, becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. You know, there's different types of trees in the Bible. There's, there's kind of regular trees, um, kind of living trees that are that grow into large uh, kind of trees like you would see here. But the Bible also uses uh, another word for trees that's actually used more so here that is more just referring to like a beam or a dead tree, just something like a, um, just like a plank almost. And you know, there's, a, there's one other word for, for tree that the Bible uses, particularly in the New Testament. And it's a word that is uh, kind of combining the two images, a tall tree and the wooden beam that goes across it. And it's the cross of Christ. It's this Greek word stauros. It's a pole and a wooden beam put together. And that one is unique to the story of Jesus alone, to the Roman cross that he hung on for the sins of the world out of his love and grace. The Bible teaches us that the cross of Jesus, the true tree, the tree that is the tree of shame, Jesus went to willingly so as to complete the work of God for us, thereby bringing ultimate rest for the world. Jesus worked and strove the hardness of life to the fullest extent so that true and everlasting rest could come for humanity and we don't have to strive as we had to before. Therefore, true rest is accomplished. When Jesus died on the cross and then rose again, it says later that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He sat down. If you're sitting down like everybody in this room is now except for me, that means in some sense you are experiencing rest. And when Jesus sat down on the throne of God, he truly was entering into the rest of God. And by trusting in him, Jesus says, you can too sit with us in paradise, in heaven forever, and experience true soul rest. And you can even rest in the meantime, he says. Stop striving for salvation. Stop working towards trying to climb the ladder to heaven and fall into the tree. Fall into the tree of life that I've grown up for you, this kingdom of God. Now at these church outposts throughout the world that you can come and find something different, something distinct, something real that nowhere else can offer. Jesus says, I'm offering it in the finished work of me on the cross. The work is done. The rest of God is offered because Jesus won it for us. The cross brings true and everlasting rest. It's the end of striving and it's the entrance into real Sabbath. Let me just give a point here on Sabbath here as we finish. Let me give you a point of what Sabbath is not. Because today is Sunday. Most of you would still say this is the Sabbath day. But 
But there's a story that I read uh, recently of a guy who was in New York on a Sunday and uh, he walked, he was walking outside and this man came running up to him and says, hey, I need your help with something. I need your help right away. Can you come upstairs with me? He said, sure, yeah. So they run into this apartment building and they get onto this elevator and he says, can you push the button for me? He says, sure. He said, what button? Push the level, level four. Okay, push the button. And the man was kind of assuming the whole time that he was going to go into the house and help. Maybe someone was, there's a medical emergency or something. But as soon as they got up to the floor, the doors opened and the man left. He said, okay, thank you. That's all I needed. And it was at that moment, the man realized that this man was a, a very strict Jewish man who couldn't push the button on the elevator on the Sabbath. That is not the trueness of what Sabbath is. That is a very conservative, strict view of the Sabbath. But the Sabbath that the gospel offers us is really more of an idea of trusting God to work when you don't. Giving him a day to work where you can rest. He's telling us that Sabbath is not necessarily resting from the work you've done, but resting as a preparation for the work that you will do. So again, today's Sunday. Many of us think of today as the last day of the week, you know, as the day where we rest from everything that we did Monday through Saturday. Really, in a Jewish mindset, in a Christian mindset, Sunday is the beginning of the week. You rest on this day to prepare for what God is going to do through you Monday through Friday and Saturday. You see the mindset shift? Rest is a preparation for what will happen, not a recuperation from all the striving. That is a rhythm that God has given us, the Sabbath rhythm of taking a step back, trusting in the finished work of God, trusting him to work when you don't, and giving him the beginning of your week. Stopping and receiving, to receive from God alone what he can give you while you cease from your work. It's the ultimate assurance that God has won the victory for your soul. I would say, and again, I'm I'm someone who doesn't say it necessarily has to be on Sunday. Maybe a, a better day for you is Saturday, or maybe it's Monday. So for instance, for me as a pastor, I I have to find another day of the week to really find that rest. But Sabbath is a one day a week rehearsal and foretaste of the rest that we will enter into in eternity. That's what heaven is. It's a realized rest forever. And you get a taste of it for your soul today. Let me finish with this story and then we'll approach the Lord's table. It's a story of a man on a long journey, which life is a long journey, right? It's this story of a man who began a long journey and along the road, he first, as he was walking, he stumbled upon a bag of gold. He said, wow, this is awesome. I'll pick up this gold and carry it with me. Thank you very much. So he picks up this gold and continues to walk with it hunched over his shoulder, leaning to one side. Walking past town, he he saw a, a beautiful woman who was sitting on this large stone And they had a wonderful conversation. And the woman got up and had to leave and left, which he was sad about. He couldn't continue the conversation. But he said, I'm going to pick up this stone and take it with me as a remembrance of that wonderful woman that I just met. So he picked up the stone and started rolling it alongside him with him. And as he continued on going, he uh, continued on his long journey. He saw a pig wander by. And he said, oh, 
I sure am hungry. It'd be nice to have a pig at some point when I get really hungry. So I'm going to take this pig with me. So he gets this pig and puts it on a rope and continues walking. So now he's got gold on his shoulder, spinning a, a stone walking. And now he's walking with a pig along the side. Finally, he uh, walks by a blackberry bush. And he says, oh, those blackberries look really good. I'm going to have some blackberries. And so he starts eating all these blackberries. And there's some thorns. And he kind of cuts his hands from the thorns. But eats the blackberries and gets some stain on his mouth. Uh, and fills up his belly. Keeps walking. So he's got all these things he's juggling. He continues on for many more days. Um, and finally, he's just tired. So he lays down for a rest and goes to sleep. But while he's sleeping, he wakes up the next morning. And everything he's just picked up is now gone. Someone has stolen all of it. And he continues, he stands up, all this stuff is gone, but he's been carrying this stuff with him for so long that now he is walking with the same, like, hunched over appearance, with, like, the same limp from the rolling the stone and with the same kind of posture with the pig. And he just looks ridiculous because he's got all this blueberry stain over him, he's got cuts on his hands, and he's walking really strangely to where this young boy watches him walking by and he points to his grandmother and says, Grandma, what is... What is this man doing? He says, what makes this man look so strange and why does he walk so funny? And the grandmother replied, the road is straight, but the man is crooked, made that way by all he tried to carry and the hunger he could never satisfy. One day you too, my child, will take on the shape of your journey by what you wish for and what you carry. The point for us is we carry with us what we experience in life. And we are longing for that true rest, that something that will straighten our path so that we don't get affected in the same way that that man did by all these things that we're carrying with him. And so instead we look to what Kosuke Koyama imagines Jesus saying for those who experience him when they come to him in heaven, when Jesus would say something like this, you've had a difficult journey. You must be tired and dirty. Let me wash your feet. The banquet is ready. That's the soul rest that Jesus Christ offers us. Or as the front of your bulletin says, the unlimited neediness of the soul matches the unlimited grace of God. So does that need that we bring with us into the serving of the Lord's Supper as we finish the service today? Let me pray for us and then we'll begin serving the elements. Father, would you open our hearts now to receive the rest that you offer as we remember the night you were betrayed and the elements you give us to remind us of your finished work on the cross, the bread and the cup, your body and blood for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.